did but, he did he have a van with like Led Zeppelin on the side? No, a Frank Frazetta <laughs> painting. A Frank Frazetta painting on oh the my side. God. Radio Drome. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is the monkey man from the Great White North, Peter. Always asking you if you can make baby. Always does, and never can. <laughs> and the Cecil robot. Yes, I made a baby. You so did. did I. I, I'm did. a father as well. But if you guys do want something to what, what? help you through quarantine, through the lockdown, you go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E. You will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping. All you have to do is use the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. And also, you guys need a VPN. It's like a digital condom. We're all stuck at home. Everybody's doing sleazy things online. Go to 1201beyond dot com backslash drome vpn and you'll get knocked over to nord's site through our link you'll be able to get 75 percent off of nord's protection they'll help encode your data they'll protect your data you'll be able to get around region coding you'll be able to say wherever you want to be hey look now i'm in indonesia as far as the internet is concerned you'll be able to get nord for only three dollars and 79 cents a month that's 75 percent off of a three-year plan 1201beyond.com backslash drome VPN. So on that note, okay, a friend of mine died this last week, Ted Newsom. Now, that's not a name a lot of you might know, but you do know a lot of his work. He worked with Canon a lot. He did a lot of documentaries. He wrote the Canon Spider-Man that never got made back in, in oh. the 80s, the one that Joe Zito was going to direct, the one that Toby Hooper mm. was going to direct. He wrote a bunch of other stuff for Canon. Some of it got made. Some of it didn't. And in fact, a lot of his Spider-Man made it into Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. He lost the Writers Guild arbitration, so David Kiop got... All all of the, the credit on screen, but David Kiop's script was heavily based on Ted Newsom's script. When Canon was making this, Glenn and Globus didn't have any idea what Spider-Man was. They literally, and I'm not exaggerating, they literally thought it was a Wolfman sort of thing. Guy gets bit by <laughs> spider, turns into a Spider-Man, and it's a horror film. That's what oh, Glenn... Which, which, let's be honest, coming from Canon back then would have been amazing. That would have been great. That's what they originally thought. Uh, obviously, then once people told them what Spider-Man was, I just find it funny that they bought something and they had no idea what it was. We have the rights <laughs> to Spider-Man. What's Spider-Man? It happens more often than you would you would think. Like there was a, a years ago when all the studios were buying all the rights to the various J horror films. They bought you know Juon and they bought uh, the Grudge and they bought the you know uh, or I'm sorry it was Juon the Grudge. Uh, they bought the ring one of them i think it was universal bought suicide club wait this movie's about what <laughs> like okay, we're, we're not going to be remaking that it's most iconically known for like that really brutal i think it was like the subway scene yeah there was the opening of the film oh where a whole God. row of kids jump in front of a subway and all kill themselves simultaneously that is just nuts yeah. But there, there's also something like, I remember when early 2000s, before any of the Resident Evil movies got made, when George Romero was supposed to be working on it, the company that bought the rights to make a Resident Evil movie had no idea, what, it's about zombies? <laughs> yeah, it is. But that's not what uh, we're talking yeah. about. So Ted Newsom died over the 4th of July weekend. I remember a year or two ago, my friend Bill Margold, you know, he was in all those adult films and became an, a historian and a champion for free speech. He died on the air of his of his radio show. You know, he had a heart Whoa. attack on the air. You can He technically didn't die until the commercial breaks. So you don't hear him die. But that was shocking to me. I Ted and Bill, I talked to all the time. I've known these guys for years and years, relatively 
relatively recently, George Romero died, and Toby Hooper died. And in 2008, we lost George Carlin, and Hunter Thompson in the early 2000s, and Richard Pryor, and we were losing all of the old guard, all of the people who built everything. All of the films being made today, all of the pop culture being made today, we're losing them all. And the ones we still have, like John Carpenter, I'm not trying to sound mean because I don't want the man to die. We all know there. he's going within the next five or ten years. He, well, you know, he's, John... he's in poor health, he's very old, he smokes like a, like a smokestack. John Carpenter's not going to be around all that much longer. Clive Barker is in very poor health. Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood's in his 80s. Clint Eastwood's up there. You've got a lot of the people who built everything modern cinema is made on. They're on their way out. And as mean as this sounds, they don't have adequate replacements. Okay, Jar Jar Abrams is not a replacement. Jordan Peele is not a replacement. Ari Asher is not a replacement for these people. People like Toby Hooper and John Carpenter and George Romero and that, these were people who defined genres. In 30 years, we're not going to be going, and that Ari Asher totally defined the horror genre. <laughs> well, it's it is kind of both strange and a little bit depressing to think about because it's you, you have to think about like who who really are the iconic filmmakers of this particular era because then you, you you go back and you think about it, it's like you know the Ridley Scotts and the Tony Scotts and the the the, the John Carpenters and the Steven Spielbergs and and these types of people and it's like who in this day and age has that similar ilk to them that are in the mainstream. And the only ones I can really think of that I really like that I really think have a certain artistic integrity to them. Like I, I really think more in terms of who's out there in the indie scene. Like I really dig dudes like Adam Weingard. I really dig dudes like Nick Reffin. And then it's like the people that are actually putting out the blockbusters and the, the ones that are actually ending up in theaters. I mean, uh, other than like a few that I can think of, like I, I very much enjoy Zack Snyder, but even he's not really regarded all that well in his time. He has a lot of naysayers. Michael Bay, who in himself, he's he's kind of getting up there in age, too. And, and then you, you think about like in terms of the aesthetic quality that directors like Jordan Peele bring other directors that are like the, the people that are putting out these films. And it's just it, there doesn't seem like like I don't mind Jordan Peele. I I did like I did like Get Out. I did like Us. I do think he's doing an okay job, but it just doesn't have that same sort of iconic vibe that the the, the people that were already brought up of the John Carpenters of of these sorts of very very standout filmmaking style directors and filmmakers of yesteryear. And, and then you think about the people that are that are still making movies now, and it's like you realize a lot of these guys are getting up there in age. You know, you got you got Clint Eastwood, who's what, like 80, 90, year, 90 years old at this point. You know, Sylvester Stallone is in his 70s. Kevin Smith is getting older. Like all of these all these people that were, were like so highly regarded, we are going to we are going to lose them sooner sooner than later. You know, John Carpenter really getting up there in age. Who is the torch going to be passed to? Like, it really is. It's a difficult thing to think about, because to me, the best filmmakers right now are in the indie scene and they're they're barely they're barely getting talked about at all. First, here's my thing with Jordan Peele. I liked Key and Peele a lot. Show is very funny. I liked uh, the Keanu movie that they did. But Jordan Peele kind of got the brilliant horror director thrust upon him after one movie. I am very much from the uh, from the the side of you need to prove yourself. You you can't do like one like there are a lot of movies that come out and they're amazing. Like I loved David Robert Mitchell's uh, It Follows. I thought it was brilliant. And then oh, yeah. uh, under Under the Silver Lake was really good. And like I think that people like him and Jordan Peele have a lot of potential. But you need to prove yourself with longevity. So when Jordan Peele did Get Out, and I thought. 
thought it was pretty good, but it really was the skeleton key mixed with a Twilight Zone episode. It wasn't anything quite re- as revolutionary as being thrust upon it. And remember, I, after one movie, he was called the next Rod Serling, and I just wanted to punch these people for that. And it was like, I really don't think it was a bad film. I thought Get Out was very good. Yeah, you shouldn't just have this like sudden, this sudden notoriety after one film like that's that really is kind of ridiculous yeah it it got thrust upon him and then it was almost as if and this was also what drove me crazy was the way that the world we are in now if you go so far as to say well you know what it was it was good but here's the problems i had with it racist and it's like no i i I never said anything about that i'm talking about the film itself and i'm talking about how i really think that he needs to prove himself you know and make more movies please do please make more because i do think that he has you know he can do quality and i think that he does have a lot of potential but i don't think that uh he's the be all end all when it comes to the new savior of horror he's done two movies essentially he did get out and he did us and now he's doing the the twilight zone thing but i think that there are a lot of actor or i'm sorry a lot there are a lot of up-and-coming directors who are new to the scene relatively new who do have a lot of promise Yeah, I think Jordan Peele has promised. I think David Robert Mitchell again has promised. I liked Adam Wingard's I Thought Your Next was amazing. I thought The Guest was amazing. And I was super Mm. excited. And then he did Blair Witch. um, So I kind of was like, all right, you know what? Again, up and coming directors, every director I love has at least one bad movie. You've got so many amazing, you know, it's like, it's just, it's really hard. And sometimes for whatever reason, a bad movie just happens. There was a director, if you want to get into uh, the the black side of things again, there was a director from Pittsburgh, you know, a Pennsylvania native. We got Rusty Cundiff, who did a movie I thought was hilarious called Fear of a Black Hat that was really doing a good job of, uh, it was kind of the spinal tap of gangster rap. Of rap. I remember seeing that movie and I I thought it was hilarious. Yeah, and he did Tales from the Hood, which I really enjoyed. He directed a bunch of episodes of Chappelle's show. He kind of, unfortunately, just, he didn't, he was around in the 90s, but, and he's still around, he's still making stuff, but he's doing a lot more television and whatnot. Right. But I think had, uh, if he had done something like the original Tales from the Hood now, he probably would be getting a lot more attention. But it's a shame. I think he's got a lot of talent, but I don't know. Tales from the Hood 2 just didn't really work, and I wonder if that was budgetary issues or if there's something behind that but it was i guess it did well enough because he's working on a tales from the hood three there's something about i'm going to use the word innovation which is not necessarily the correct term when you look back at george romero john carpenter sam raimi toby hooper these people all came up at a time when film was much more malleable they innovated they created their own genres they were they really had their own um they really did have their own aesthetic like you could very much see the differences between all of them too that's that's what that in itself is also like just what made them so innovative to begin with exactly nothing was being done like that they were they were forging a totally new path ari asher and jar jar abrams and jordan peele and them they are not what 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 new path are they forging maybe they're making movies you like that's fine but they're not changing things. And maybe things don't need to change. But you go back and look at this old guard. And and I'm sure the generation before that, the people who grew up on James Whale movies and Todd Browning movies would be mm. like, oh, you know, wh- who's going to remember this George Romero guy in 30 years? So I'm sure <laughs> that this is a circular argument. But Sure. But I I think history will bear out George Romero did way more for film than Ari Asher could ever hope to do. And it's, it's not just even in film. Let's go to a different medium real quick. Hunter Thompson. When Hunter Thompson broke onto the scene in the, in the mid sixties, there was literally nothing like Hunter S. Thompson. Oh no. Who, whether it's journalism or just writing in general, who would even come close to being a modern Hunter Thompson. I well, can't think of anybody. When he was doing what he was doing, like him as a person literally coined the term, what was it, like gonzo journalism. It's like he was he was sort of the first to sort of do that, this very strange, conversational, and also very controversial, very, very drug-addled, very booze-addled kind of style of writing, but it, it really immersed you and it really drew you in and no, I, I, I can't think of 
I can't think of anybody else that's that's really doing that sort of thing and doing it as uh, as effectively as he did. Yeah, I don't like think that um, we're we're getting quite the innovation. I think maybe because everything has been done to a certain degree and uh, we're at a weird place in Hollywood. We talked about it a little bit last time where uh, we're, we're seeing how their their medium budget films are kind of being done away with. It's either the very expensive or the very low budget films. Right. And uh, the medium ones and the smaller ones are really where most of the innovation happens. And a lot of the guys who do the smaller films are the ones that eventually move on to make the bigger films. And unfortunately, somewhere along the way, like with Sam Raimi, I feel that he kind of lost that creativity spark that he used to have. We used to get these really clever, cool things that he did. And now that he's got infinite money, he just kind of just slaps whatever together and we get Oz the Great and Powerful. Which is basically just a kid-friendly Army of Darkness. It really is. It's just Army of Darkness with the with the different IP on top of it. It's weird because we have an industry that is so desperate to make like the new this, you know, instead of the first George Romero, we're getting the new George Romero or something. Right. And, and that's what really kind of drives me nuts where it's like, we're not getting these guys that are forging their own path. And it's not particularly their fault. It's a lot of times it's the way that they're presented. It's well, we want them, you know, we already have an established guy. So we want people to think of this guy right. in the way of the previous guy. It's so, almost more of nowadays. It's more of like a passing of the mantle rather than like really establishing yourself as kind of your own thing. That's why, like, we're not seeing, you know, another Kevin Smith and another, you know, like, like, love him or hate him. The dude has a way of doing things like he's right. somebody who in more recent years, granted, it's now going on, you know, 25 plus years. But, you know, you look at a Kevin Smith movie and, you know, it's a Kevin Smith movie, much like particularly. You look- yeah. Like the, the way he writes dialogue, even even though he kind of sells himself short as a director, I do think that. For the most part, you do know that you're watching a Kevin Smith movie. There, There is a, a certain way that he goes about things. Yeah. And, and he did almost die uh, on stage. He had the heart attack and, you know, before, when he was uh, supposed to do another show and he had to cancel oh, that was it and scary. almost killed him. There's also something with, with again, I'm going to go with innovation and doing something that's different. Now, maybe there is nothing left to do. I don't, I don't really subscribe to that. I think. <clears throat> I don't agree with that either. No, I, I think there's, there's plenty of open ideas. It just ideas hasn't been thought here. of yet is all. Right. But I, I was reading an article, this is maybe a year or two ago. And it was about how Seth Rogen and James Franco and Jonah Hill and all that are the are the equivalent of what Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray and John Belushi and that were in the late seventies uh, and no. early eighties. I know. I just went, <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? What what those guys did in the in the late seventies and early eighties. I'm not going to say it hadn't been done before because National Lampoon magazine had been doing it since the late 60s. But right. on the on the on the level that they were doing it, Saturday, you guys don't understand. Saturday Night Live is now a joke of itself. But yes. if if you watched, I remember Saturday Night Live debuted the year I was born, so I saw the early, really early episodes and reruns. But I remember being a little kid and just being like, "This is so dangerous." What <laughs> I'm watching right now. Well, not only not only Saturday Night Live originally, but also like SCTV Canada was very, very racy. They actually did. Uh, and this got pulled from TV, too. I think SCTV did a parody of Cruising where it was uh, I believe it was the the other McKenzie brother, the one that isn't Rick Moranis. But they did like they did a cruising skit, but it's like like a cooking show, but with Al Pacino's character doing like BDSM stuff to like turkeys and stuff it was great (laughs) saturday night live had one of those in what everyone considers the disastrous 1980 season okay to get into it a little bit in 1979 dan Aykroyd and belushi and all them left the show so you had all the an all new cast in 1980 you had new producers because lauren michaels had left it's considered a disaster and to to a degree it is but this is what gave us eddie murphy and there are some damn good jokes in that 1980 season it had a much more mean-spirited vibe than the old show had. And you could tell that, like, Charles Rocket was meant to be the new 
Chevy Chase. And right. they, they did a sketch on hunting commies where they were all <laughs> dressed up like Elmer Fudds and they were, you know, a bunch of guys getting out ready to hunt, to, you know, hunt commies. Oh, and, you, you could not do that today. Well, well just wait. It's going to get worse. And, <laughs> and remember, this is on NBC, okay? Charles Rocket's leading this group. I can't remember who it was. Maybe it was Joe Piscopo. Asked him, how do we know a commie? He goes, well, if you see a nigger or a faggot, there's a commie. Just shoot him. Oh, my God. And it was yeah, Joe... You, you could not get away with that and they even did they 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 did like the leather weather report where the weather people were all in s&m and the the map was charles rocket in s&m and he's getting whipped where like the rain's gonna go and stuff and it's it was very mean-spirited it was a lot darker and nobody liked it well it was definitely pushing buttons they were they were trying to see what they could get away with what they couldn't get away with but at the same time like i I admire that. Like they were actually, they were pushing the envelope. They were seeing where, where they could go with it. They were seeing what was offensive, what wasn't. And it's like, you can't even really, I feel like you can't even really do that now. It's, it's just, you're going to have too many people that are online. These uh, groups of people that there's not so many of them, but they're loud enough of a, of a majority, we're not even really a majority, more of a minority that are going to complain about it and get you canceled and get you fired and, and all this stuff. And there just doesn't seem to be that same, even though like that season of SNL maybe wasn't that great or maybe wasn't as well received, they were still at least able able to do it. And I feel like nowadays it, it's too much like it's a lot of eggshell eggshell walking let's get back to the whole thing dan Aykroyd and john belushi and bill murray and all of them gilda radner john candy cheech and chong that entire era is leaps and bounds and i think objectively so i'm not looking at this through nostalgia glasses objectively better smarter edgier and more dangerous than anything james franco and seth rogan could ever come up with well, no, it's the thing with comedy now is it tries to be, or at least some of these movies try to be kind of edgy or whatever. And, and they're not like there's this constant virtue signaling being sprinkled in between a lot of scenes and a lot of dialogue moments, particularly in these Seth Rogen movies. Every And I, I will challenge anybody to watch a Seth Rogen movie, any given one, and prove me wrong that there isn't a scene where Seth Rogen virtue signals. There is a scene in every single Seth Rogen movie where he's like, well, I, I may be a, a down and out, total burnout, pothead loser, but you know, dude, you're a real piece of shit. You're the blah, 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 blah. He even does it to Cato in the goddamn Green Hornet movie. Every single time that a Seth Rogen film was made, there is a Seth Rogen virtue signals and tells you that he's actually really a good guy and you're too offensive or you you're too this or you're too that it's really pathetic it's it's just it just shows that even though nowadays it seems like we can have a harder r rating and have a little more violence and a little more swearing but it seems like they have to sprinkle in that moment of oh but but wait like i am actually really good i am actually a really good guy and this guy isn't and i'm going to tell you exactly it's just really just so pandery and disgusting and just inflated ego crap when you look at seth rogan and james franco and all them like they're is mildly humorous initially when it came when he came on the scene zach and miri and well actually probably before that with like uh what was the 40 year old uh, virgin? for thank you 40 year old virgin which was like funny but then it, it just became super bad and pineapple express and sausage party and a lot of things where it's like they wanted to, I feel like they were trying to be more the modern Cheech and Chong without understanding why Cheech and Chong was so funny to begin with. It's not just, ha ha, hey, we smoke pot and it's funny because we do dumb things. There was a <laughs> lot of subtle humor that went with the Cheech and Chong stuff and it's right. still legitimately funny. And that's why you can go watch Up in Smoke and laugh and then go watch Pineapple Express and not laugh. There's a lot to be like, you know, pothead humor. Yes, it is a thing. There are stoner comedies. Half-Baked is a great one. It's legitimately funny. But then it's just like, oh, they got high and then they did dumb things. Not funny at all. And then I know this is anecdotal. I went to see Sausage Party in the theater and I'm oh, not oh. kidding. It was one of the most 
or I should say one of the least laughed at comedies I've ever seen. The audience just sat there pretty much quiet throughout the entire film. And then at the end, when like the food orgy happened, there was a lot of, oh, this is, this is kind of funny, but oh, it's going on so long. Like it's, it, it was like, hey, if we keep doing it, it'll eventually be funny. What a family guy humor. If it's, if if it's not funny at a minute, it'll be really funny at six minutes. Yeah, just uh, I would say, but, but even at, I mean, there's at least an element of comedy there. Sausage Party was just god awful. It was really like uh, I, I think I said this well way back. It was like Rogan and and uh, and other guy <laughs> got really baked and watched Food Fight, and they were like, "Hey, we should do this." And then they made Sausage Party and it was a giant pile of crap. Oh I can't, my God. like, anything that they've ever done, if you're going to try to say that, like, they're the new Belushi and Aykroyd or what, like, you go back and watch no. Blues Brothers and Ghostbusters and everything that they're, even the bad movies that they've done, and they're still better they're still than these great. guys. There's still more innovation in Dr. Detroit, and that's a <laughs> bad movie than anything Seth Rogen has ever touched in his entire career. When it comes to, like, innovation again, Let's go to print media. Is there any, and I'm not saying there are not great horror authors out there, okay? But remember when Clive Barker came to our shores in the mid-80s? Do you remember when the Books of Blood came over here? How nothing like that existed before Clive Barker. Clive Barker was a trailblazer. I don't care whether you like Clive Barker or not. You cannot deny what he did. Well, he was definitely the second coming of Lovecraft and Edgar Allan Poe and, and people like this. He, he blew Stephen King out of the water. Yeah, because um, well, Stephen King, you know, was very mainstream at that point. You had some of these other big horror authors that had, you know, gotten very mainstream, like Dean Koontz and that. Clive Barker was something different. He was oh, something, yeah. I, I, I don't think I'm exaggerating to say his work was dangerous when it came to our shores. He and, was constantly pushing boundaries, for sure. Yeah, who, who would be the modern Clive Barker? I don't think there's anybody. I mean, yeah, you've got great authors like Joe Hill and stuff like that, but they're not innovating the way Clive Barker did in the 80s. I read some of his stuff. The thing is, I would like to revisit it now because I read it when I was younger and it was just way over my head to think that I would have a better grasp on it now. But (laughs) uh, yeah, back then I'm like, I'm like, oh, this is awesome. And I'm like, I don't understand what's going on. So... Well, yeah, like the original story of like Rawhead Rex and and stuff like that. Like it's literally a killer penis. Yeah, I'm like 14 (laughs) and I'm trying to figure this stuff out. (laughs) Or the the one that I remember being so I've never seen anything like this before was in the hills in the cities where Mm. the two warring towns lashed themselves together into giant meat robots made out of people and they fight. And you're like, what the fuck? (laughs) where is that kind of innovation in print media today i can't think of anybody or 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 even let's go with science fiction now i know it was you know blade runner had come out and things like that but look at neuromancer from william gibson the ideals of cyberpunk in certain aspects had existed prior to neuromancer but neuromancer was again like nothing anybody had ever seen before when Neuromancer came out in 84. Nothing like that existed. That book created a genre. Who in sci- I mean, There's a lot of great science fiction writers out today. There's a lot of modern people who are just writing one or two stories that have come out that are fantastic, innovative, thought-provoking sci-fi writers. Is there another William Gibson among them? Not that I've seen. There really isn't. It's like, uh, what, are the, what are the things that are known... Nowadays, for like what's considered cutting edge sci-fi, what the Hungry Games author who I've liked way, way, way back since the '90s, Douglas Copeland. Now, granted, we're getting off of uh, science fiction and whatnot. He did. He was the one who coined Generation X. Oh, uh, because because of his book Generation X. But he's done, uh, you know, Micro Surfs, uh, Shampoo Planet. He's done a lot of really, really interesting books that one of my favorite authors and uh, is just genuinely was was incredibly innovative. I mean, hell, he he labeled my entire generation something to be said for that. And again, he's an author who's been doing this for decades. So it's not uh, like, it, again, we're getting a new guard. He's a guy who he's. He's uh, 58, so he's not old, but not young, you know, Uh, getting up there. 
he's getting up there. So it's not like we're getting any younger, you know, thir- you know, thirties ish revolutionary authors. A lot of the authors and stuff that I get recommended, they're doing the ready player one thing where it's like, Ugh. Hey, this book is filled with references and that somehow makes it good. Well, and see, it's like, I don't thing. mind. That's, that's what a lot of people seem to be putting the seal of quality on nowadays. People that are writing things and basically telling you what you should be feeling. Like a lot of these so-called provocative, or controversial writers of nowadays are basically telling you uh, literally in their writing like oh are you offended by this oh I have two characters they're gay and they're kissing doesn't that make you upset how about that for your male tears and it's like that's not (laughs) provocative writing that's like you're literally just telling people how they should or shouldn't be feeling and the same thing with the nostalgia pandering of, of novels like Ready Player One where it's like oh look we have Godzilla and Spawn in one scene in a book does this not remind you of the 90s oh yes good reference that is something that really I gotta agree with with drives me freaking nuts you know hey our thing has gay people in it doesn't that bother you no no like, it doesn't I've seen it this doesn't. before and it's there's fine been, there's like, been gay yeah, people I've in been... novels and stuff all I mean Clive Barker wrote gay <laughs> people into those books yeah! of blood stories exactly <laughs> i wasn't yeah, offended I, by it then i i played a bisexual elf in a D campaign oh my god i played oh a my bi- god I, like who I cares a, <laughs> i like, played really? a bisexual barbarian that loved uh purple purple velvet <laughs> <laughs> Did but, he did he have a van with like Led Zeppelin on the side? No, a Frank Frazetta <laughs> painting. A Frank Frazetta painting on oh the my side. God. There's even something like, okay, we brought up his name earlier when talking about Jordan Peele. Everyone called Jordan Peele the modern Rod Serling. Oh my god, he's Rod Serling reincarnating. And then Jordan Peele, of course, took that all into his brain because then he took over Twilight Zone and then wrote an episode where he had Rod Serling telling him he was the heir to Rod Serling's throne, which is pure egotism and narcissism to a degree I can't even fathom. Rod Serling was a guy who battled constantly and he really changed things when it came to television and radio. Now, obviously, the medium would have to change. Who would be Ro- the modern Rod Serling? Or Orson Welles. Orson Welles, I mean, he fought every medium. He was always fighting for trying to do something different. Look at how when Orson Welles had creative control, he didn't want to do it like everybody else. He was like, let's figure out how to do this our way. Who is the modern Orson Welles? Who is the modern Rod Serling? I don't think there is one. I think these these are notions that are left into the past where everything's becoming so homogenized. Everything is so middle of the road. If Rod Serling had not existed then, Rod Serling came out today, he'd be ignored. Rod Serling would never get anywhere today. Is it Mm. that what he's fighting against has changed, so you can't have a Rod Serling anymore? Or is it that there just isn't anybody with the sheer talent of a Rod Serling or an Orson Welles? I think there's uh, plenty of talent out there. It's just that talent is... Uh, secondary to what you can sell. They don't want the new this. They don't want uh, an innovator. They want somebody who can resell the audience something that is already a proven track record. I think that's one of the things that's going to be really difficult moving forward after COVID is studios are going to be looking for an easy sell. They're not going to be looking for something innovative. They're like, oh crap, we need to make money and we need to fall back on what we know is going to make money. So they're going to give us more remakes they're going to do uh more retellings of stuff that we've already seen a million times because to them they think that'll you know it made money once it'll make money again instead of you know taking a chance on doing something else the only thing that i think really might change that is if they start buying up some smaller properties simply to get product out there. So mm. it's like, oh crap, we need a we need a movie right now because we got nothing. Well, we've got this movie that we thought sucked 10 years ago and we haven't released. Let's put it out there now and it comes out and it's brilliant because they didn't understand it at the time. Or uh, some small independent guy is like, hey, I made this movie and they buy it and they release it and ends up being a big hit. I mean, how many movies have come along that uh, have innovated for better or worse 
but they initially thought there were going to be flops. The studio had no faith in the movie Taken. It ends up being a freaking number one of the box office, spawns two sequels and two TV <laughs> Uh They had no faith in Underworld, a freaking vampires versus werewolves movie. And it ends up making five movies and they're going to reboot it. And, you know, so I think that uh, a lot of times they just, they don't know what the hell they're doing and they're looking for easy sells and the next, think, uh, the next franchise basically is what they want. The next, the but next franchise. That, is what that's how much it's changed. Go back to, and, and now this, I won't blame on the new generation of filmmakers, but go back to when David Cronenberg and John Carpenter and George Romero and them, all of these people, they got their jobs because this is dangerous. The studios were like, this is not like anything else. Right. This is why we want this. Now it's, this isn't like anything else. This is why we don't want this. So so I, I totally understand that the market has changed. I'm it's not very... trying to blame some of these people, but when you elevate just absolute hacks like Ari Asher to he's been called hey, the, I'm, the savior I'm of, of horror. Um, who who um what is Ari Asher made for some Hereditary reason, like, and Midsummer. Oh yeah, people are really sucking that guy's cock right and now. Th- those movies are horrendous pieces of crap. I, and I wouldn't even necessarily say they're horrendous, but to me, they're. I can't even make it to really, the end of Midsummer. I can't even okay. make it through the movie. I, I, I will like give... they're like they're people that are comparing him to like films like Exorcist and Rosemary's Baby and stuff like that. And it's like he. I, I will say he does have an eye, but I, I don't think these movies are as good as people are, are, are giving them credit for. I will give credit to Hereditary. Hereditary, I will give credit for having a very good vibe. It was and good. I like that I will one. say I that it, it. I will say that it is different. Now, different does not always mean good. I will give him credit for being different, but I thought the movie was a giant pile of crap. Uh, so, but again, I will take a polarizing different film than the same thing we've seen a hundred times. At least it was something else. Well, like, what's unfortunate to me is that the different film that ends up being so elevated, like Hereditary, but yet we we have had really great innovative horror films that I think were awesome and that I think really deserve more of a of a mainstream stage, like. It follows deserved way yes. more of a of a following. That was awesome. I thought Baba Duke was really great. I thought the guest was really great. I thought your next was really awesome. But these really just ended up kind of being little crapshoot indie films that not a lot of people are really talking about. And yet we're obsessing over Hereditary and Midsummer. Yeah, I don't, Green, I don't get it. Green Room was another one that, that was uh, awesome. That was really good and fantastic. Like it deserved more attention but it got you know i mean it's it's under a24 so it's not going to get a huge release it kind of got still... delegated to more just an indie audience pretty much right. it was a awesome movie it was oh, so yeah. good but then there's something where there's a couple of there's two filmmakers i'm going to bring up who i think are doing things that are very unique in this market but the problem is they're both edging too hard into the past and that's mm. nicholas winding refn and panos cosmatos both of well, those they guys both really they very much are are definitely fans of the 80s for sure exactly and and that's the thing their films are visual masterpieces i think refn needs to learn how to edit more he, he <laughs> lets stuff go way too long no, but, I, but he knows I, what I looks good too that. i i love his long shots they remind me of like old school ennio morricone well, the thing is, but they're both neither of that neither of those men have made a movie that's truly original yet. They're making movies that are very 80s. That's the thing, like how everyone, leaving the plagiarism and everything of Tarantino aside, how everyone <laughs> keeps talking about how Tarantino is the most unique filmmaker out there. Oh my God. What? It, it, it's like, <laughs> but he hasn't made a unique movie yet, guys. No, he hasn't I mean, made an original movie yet. Good. Like Tarantino is very good at what he does, but his movies would not exist without the likes of like Enzo Castellari and and directors like this, like the a lot of the Italian exploitation folks. His movies would not exist at all because these are like literally two of his films are can be considered technically remakes of Enzo Castellari films. And I'm talking Inglorious Bastards and Django Unchained. 
This is, of course, the original Enzo G. Castellari Inglorious Bastards that was retitled to G.I. Bro. And Django Unchained is Kioma, but replaced with a black slave. Like, it's it's very, at least clear cut to me, even though he does do a very good job. I really wish that, you know, directors like Nick Reffin and directors like Panos Cosmatos or Cosmatos or however you pronounce it, or even... Um, Craig S. Zoller is another one that I really, you know what? He really deserves more of a spotlight too, but, but I think yes. people have now, I, I think they're labeling him as like the alt-right director or something, which really annoys me. Like they think his movies are too right-wing or too political to this. No, they're not. They're they're very similar to Michael Mann's sort of 80s style of, of directing, and they're very mean-spirited, and people do not win at the end. A lot of people get screwed over in these movies, and but he does it in a very brilliant way. I, I do think anybody that hasn't seen Bone Tomahawk, Brawl in Cell Block 99, and the recent Dragged Across Concrete, which I thought was just just a brilliant movie, more people need to be paying attention to this guy. But no, instead, we're, we're still fetishizing, fetishizing or whatever, Tarantino, who is basically just remaking 70s grindhouse films. There's also something like Anna Lily Amarpour. You know, she made A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night and then The Bad Batch. And Those are great. Both were really good movies. And I, I think she has a, the right eye and the right temperament for this, but The Bad Batch did not go over well, and it seems like her future is in jeopardy. Well, everyone's falling all over Ari Asher. And I, I mean, seriously, I, I can't remember if it was Fangoria or one of the magazines called him the future of horror. And I just oh, wanted Jesus. to burn the magazine. I'm like, wh what am I missing? This guy sucks. <laughs> It's the same well, it's way, like, it's the same way like 10 years ago. Remember, the future of horror is Eli Roth. And I'm like, <laughs> I am going to punch you in the dick. Even, even Eli Roth, like I buy that more. Like, even though I'm not really the biggest fan of his films, I feel like he does in a sense, he gets it. He gets what he's marketing to, who his audience is, who he's making his movies for. Even though I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan of his writing. I do think he's a talented director. I do think his films look great. Like I, I will go on record. I, I did a video with, with Cecil on it. And as far as like Green Inferno goes, I like that one a lot. Like, I understand that. I understand why he would be labeled as the next big great horror director because like say what you will about quality whether it's good or not of his films hostile and cabin fever when when these movies came out they were huge everybody was talking about these movies they were like you need to see this you need to see this movie this is like so crazy and so nuts and it's so violent and, and so wild and it's like so there was a, a big reputation built around eli roth just from word of mouth from people going to see these movies and talking about them and also his personality in in interviews and everything too and it's like nowadays it's more just a director will put out a movie you know air Ari Asher or whatever will put out Hereditary or Midsummer, and it's more in terms of what the critics are telling you what to think. Like he is the the next visionary. You will you will love this director, and it's it's not really it's not as much of because like who's really talking about these movies? I don't see a lot of it online. I don't see a lot of people on Twitter really hyping up Hereditary or Midsummer all that much. Really, like it's really more of a critic opinion of it and not so much a word of mouth like and again because i know that you like myself josh are not really all that into eli roth but you have to admit there was a lot of word of mouth from just fans of movies that were super into his stuff and i do think that's very different when it comes to somebody like ari asher who is just a a critic's darling there's also something to be said for we are move, we are losing the past to make room for the future. And that's not the way it's supposed to go. The past should exist as the future moves forward. But the way it seems to work in internet pop culture is we it, it, it's sort of like, what if every time you learned a new fact, you had to lose an old fact? in your brain. What if your brain worked like that? That's the way modern pop culture seems to work. The only way we can embrace Jordan Peele and Ari Asher and Jar Jar Abrams and all this <laughs> is to get rid of all of the past. It seems like these things cannot coexist together. And that is the problem I'm having, that we shouldn't have to lose the past to make room for the future. We should be looking forward. We should be looking for new, innovative filmmakers. While I don't think Ari Asher or Jordan Peele are the future, or at least they shouldn't be, in my opinion, there are so many great, unique movies. Like, it's not out yet, but I've seen Joe Badden's Sister Tempest. 
this movie, it's not going to be a mainstream hit. I can tell you that right now. It is not going to be a mainstream hit because it's sort of like, what if David Lynch had ADD? And I mean that in a positive way, Joe. But a movie like Sister Tempest, there is not really a lot like that. When you watch the movie, you're going to go, that was a unique two-hour experience. Nice. And I'm not saying it because I, I, I know the director and I do have a small vocal cameo in it. When you see the movie, if you listen to the completely dead inside school announcer that's me but i'll bash a movie i'm in i'll bash a project i'm in if i think it turned out wrong so when a movie like sister tempest comes out you say this does have that clive barker david cronenberg david lynch john carpenter dangerous vibe to it and you don't see that uh... too much even a movie that we talked about last week was uh, the Routines film. We don't see a lot of movies like that nowadays either. And I really wish more people could could appreciate and see more more films like that. And I, I love it. I love it when a movie has a genuinely dangerous vibe to it without even trying to be super edgy, which, I mean, I already talked about it before, but it's like these these writers and these script writers and novelists or whatever that are, are basically telling you what you should be feeling, telling you what you should be offended by, telling you what you should be taken aback by in, instead of just, oh, just instead of just making something that is kind of fucked up. There were filmmakers that were doing that very organically and writers that were doing that very organically, you know, like like Clive Barker's, like the Frank Henenlotter's, like like people like this, like the William Lustig's of the world. And I, I really do. I really do miss that. I miss people that were that could organically kind of make you feel like your skin was itchy. I think that there's uh, a lot of up and coming directors that hopefully will be able to get the attention that they deserve. There are a lot of directors who are as kind of annoyed with the general state of things as we are. And I'm sure they're trying to get things done, whether or not they actually can do it. Uh, remains to be seen. I hope it happens because uh, I like good movies and I hope we get some innovation, but I think innovation right now is going to be more complicated than it's ever been. Yeah. So I hope that we can see some good stuff coming up, but who knows? Lackadaisicalness uh, does breed for contempt of it. And <laughs> there are going to be some people that are like, okay, uh, I hate all this garbage that is being praised. I want to make my own thing. And hopefully this is where we get directors like Craig S. Zoller and Panos Cosmatos and Nick Reffin and, and people of that ilk is we get sort of the rebel filmmakers that are, that are making stuff that isn't necessarily going to be praised by the mainstream, but it does does have its audience and I, I do think that at least we have that and that's that's a special thing to have and I'm glad we have it we're at a point where you know we're old enough to be recognizing that that's what happens I'm sure yeah. I'm sure our parents went through it to a certain degree uh maybe not quite as aggressive as it is now I mean for crying out loud in the last Jedi they they <laughs> said uh what, what was the quote let the uh, past die let the past die kill it if you have to and oh my like, god no, no. Like, I, I think respect the, the, the past and learn in the future. You know, don't don't just all over the stuff that made it so that this could be here now. I you think know, the only so reason the only reason why it seems so dire now and why it's like it, it's mostly due to social media and you have a lot more outlets of people that are talking about this stuff. It's it's the same as every generation. Every generation wants to be like, I'm better than the past. I will be the future. And it's like, sh- shut up. While the future does need to move forward, it can't destroy the past while it's forging the future. And that's the problem right now pop culture has, is the past must be eradicated to make room for a completely bland, homogenized, milquetoast future. And that doesn't sit right with me. So on that note... Where can people find Peter just hating everything that comes out today, except for what he doesn't? Uh, You can find me living in the past in the future, because I am the future. Take a look at this face. I am the future. (laughs) At Cinematica on Twitter, on YouTube, The Cinematicist. And, on, of course, on 1201beyond.com with other fine programming. And on Patreon at Cinematica. And where can we find Cecil going, I am the future! I am the future of this great nation! While... (laughs) Come on, you know what that's from, right? Uh, SLC Punk. 
Oh my god, SLC. Oh god, <laughs> I haven't seen that in so long. Well, uh, uh, Matthew yeah, that Lillard is, uh, jumping up and down. Matthew oh, Lillard. Yeah, I was, was going to say I was going to say Devin Sava, but no, yeah, that was Matthew Lillard. It was Matthew Lillard. That movie's actually really smart. And then he's like a lawyer at the end. Yeah, it's just so <laughs> it's so on point. But anyway, find me uh, respecting the past. You can find me over at the soon to be uh, actually currently under construction, getting the new goodbadflix.com. So if you go there, you're going to see just an under construction thing. But you can find my videos over at uh, YouTube and as well as social media of Twitter, Facebook. I am going to be returning to Twitch at some point and um, at 1201beyond.com. Why am I rambling? I don't know. This is what you do. You're just a rambling man. Apparently. Well, and you can find me at 1201beyond.com. Contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Guys, try to be a cut above. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night. Trust me, you don't need to talk to me about something. Please just go. Really, you don't need to be honest with me. You don't need to see me. Now just go. I am not gonna die in peace when I go. There you go. How proud her friends must have been of her when they bowed to think of her. And there you go. There is no need for you to be honest with me. Married, I'm not sometimes. Tired of nonsense. No people like show people, at least not any people I know. You look like someone someone else would think is attractive. How's that work? Me and those of a good understanding in the event of my unfortunate death. People always like a ball when you're dead. Isn't that what you said? Where'd you go? Paranoia is just good common sense. You think you're the exception? Do you really think so? Turn on, please go on I don't have a problem with magic beans And can quit whenever I want You look like someone someone else would think is attractive How's that go? I don't need you to be honest with me Please just, please just, please just go Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.